0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Wow, what a weekend of sports. Uh, there's, there's no other way to put it. Welcome into Crunch Time here on a Monday, Matt Miguez. James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, and here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Louisiana Reducation's baseball team welcomes a top 50 baseball program into Russo Park and sweeps them. LSU goes on the road to Round Rock, Texas, takes two out of three, wins the tournament, and Dylan Cruz plays well, like Dylan Cruz. And the Louisiana and Cajuns men's basketball team closes out a historic home undefeated season inside the Cajun Dome, going 15 and 0 in the Cajun Dome for the first time ever. The producer extraordinaire and my co-host is the one and only Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon, sir. How was your weekend? Pretty good weekend. How about yours, Matt? It was really good. It was really good. Busy, never but good. stopped. But it was a good weekend. Yep, it was a good weekend. So let's start with Bob Marlin's crew. Mm-hmm. You went into Friday's game needing one more win to to cap off that undefeated season at home, and I'm going to be honest, things. Didn't look promising because South Alabama was coming into the Cajun Dome as arguably the hottest team in the Sun Belt Conference. I mean, they were red hot, and it showed. They took a things were neck and neck in the first half. You had a one point lead. At, South Alabama had a one point lead at the break, but then Jordan Brown just kind of said, "All right, let's let's get things done." Cajuns outscore South Alabama by 11 in the second half to win it 74-64. to 64. Jordan Brown with 28 points on 13 of 15 shooting. The one glare in his stat line, he was 2 of 11 from the charity stripe. Now, we spoke with Bob Marlin earlier today, and we'll have that audio for you tomorrow. And... Was we kind of talked to him about free throws and if it's a super important thing for a head coach at this level to stress because that's kind of a fundamental thing, right? And and you get to a certain point where you've played basketball long enough, free throws become more of a mental thing than anything. And and he kind of talked about that, you know, There, there are times where guys will go through free throw slumps, and he'll just, you know, tell them to like move their elbow in just ever so slightly, and then they make a couple in a row. And he's like, "Ah, see, it's all in your head." It's he's kind of right. Like you, you get to a point where the motion of it is muscle memory, and it's it's just a mental thing.
2: And it's not like he has an ugly shooting form.
1: No, it's a good one. So, to, yeah, to see him go two of eleven from the line. Now, don't get me wrong. Has Jordan Brown been a great
3: free throw shooter this year?
1: No, no. no. Um, he's, he's never been in his career. He's shooting sixty two percent from the free throw line, um, and and that's actually second best in his career. But two of eleven doesn't happen often. That is that is an anomaly uh, for Jordan Brown. Uh, he comes in. He comes into the conference tournament. Averaging right under 20 points a game. He also has eight rebounds, one full block, almost two assists per game. And he finished second in Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year voting to Marshall's Tavion Kinsey. It was announced earlier today that Kinsey is the Sun Belt Player of the Year for the 2023 season, although Jordan Brown was also named Player of the Week earlier today by the Sun Belt for the fourth time. In 2022-2023, he was also named the Lou Henson National Player of the Week by CollegeInsider.com. Bob Marlins crew will now prepare for the Sun Belt Championship, South Conference Tournament in Pensacola. They will play Friday evening at Saturday evening, excuse me, at 7:30. They will play the winner against of Georgia Southern and ULM, and. You know, you look at this bracket and you look at that matchup in particular and it's super intriguing, James, because let's start with ULM. Right? You you played you've played ULM twice so far this season. Um one was a lot closer than the other. But both games were you you got off to fast starts in both of them because you look at the one where you went to Monroe, you won eighty six to seventy three, but at the first media timeout you were up twenty one to four. And you jumped out to a massive lead and just kind of kept things at that fifteen point window most of the contest, and then a couple weeks later. They come to Lafayette, you win by 17, but you were up 30 at halftime. So both ways you look at it, both were pretty convincing wins for Louisiana, and I, I think that if that matchup happened again, it would probably be more of the same. Now Georgia Southern's where it gets incredibly intriguing. Because Georgia Southern came into the Cajun Dome in at the end of January. Georgia Southern led by 19 at halftime. Shot almost 70% from the field in the first half. And then the Cajuns went on a crazy second half run. One ended up winning the game ninety four to eighty seven. But if you remember, Georgia Southern had a player that they consider to be one of their better players. And his name was, his name's eluding me right now, but he sat that game. He got sick in pregame warmups, so he didn't play. Does that change anything if they match up with each other in Pensacola? That remains to be seen. But the Cajuns, I I know people wanted the Cajuns to get the number one seed the Cajuns got a very, very favorable draw in this Sunbelt tournament. You're going to play the winner of Georgia Southern ULM, and if you win that, you're going to await potentially Marshall, potentially Old Dominion, maybe even Texas State or Georgia State for the semifinals on Sunday. And then if you win that, you'll play in the championship game against whoever makes it out of the top half. Southern Miss has a... Tough road to get to championship Monday inside the Pensacola Bay Center. We'll preview that more and more as the week comes along. But again, you know, we, we get back to Bob Marlin and Jordan Brown meeting with the media following their win over South Alabama on Friday that gave them the undefeated record at home. And Bob Marlin talked about the momentum of his team heading into Pensacola.
4: You know what? Well, we, we've really played well. We won 10 in a row and and then went and played before 8,000 fans against a team that net was much better than ours. And we had the lead in the second half. Then, then we go to Troy, a team that's played well late and uh, had just beaten South Alabama on Thursday. They had some confidence. And then we come home and win. At Monroe, we go to James Madison in front of 6,000 fans. We played hard but we made some poor plays and Jordan fouls out and we're not able to to win that game but their net's better than ours too so kind of underdogs in those games I mean we it's hard and our, some of our hard conference games on, were late on the road So, uh, but to win at home I mean and to run the table I mean 23-7 and is a pretty good record with the schedule we played
1: Coach also talked about the importance of having the double by and not playing until Saturday in the conference tournament.
4: Well, i I've, this is the 13th year that I've been here and we have received a buy and or won a game every year. we won a game 12 of the 13. We actually lost to this team. Sutter Russell <coughs> missed a three point shot to win the game. We lost in Pensacola by one point, uh, to South Alabama, but, uh, every other year, and we'd gotten a buy t- for that. But, uh, the bye means a lot. I mean, double bye. At least just look at last year. And, and if that doesn't give those middle-of-the-pack teams hope, you know, we knew that we could beat anybody. And we beat Texas State in the second game, and everybody was like, golly, you know, eight beat one. I think it's the only time it's happened in a conference tournament history. And then we beat Troy, and who finished second, and then get to the championship game. But we had to play th- four games in five days, right? And... The fourth game, we were really good for three games. And that fourth game, we just didn't have it. And Georgia State, to their credit, made shots and beat us. So to not play until Saturday is huge. It's a big advantage.
1: So now, you know, looking at the, the Cajuns road, and James, I'll, I'll bring you in here for, for a little conversation about it before we take timeout number one. You're going to play the winner of Georgia Southern and and ULM, both teams you've beaten already, both teams you have experience with. And then if if you win that game and move on to the semifinals on Sunday, you're potentially going to play Marshall. You're potentially going to play Old Dominion. Old Dominion's a team that you fell to. Marshall, you beat them in the one meeting you had. Do you find... I would mentioned earlier that I thought that the road for the Cajuns was pretty favorable. Do you agree with that? Do you think the Cajuns have a lot of momentum and a pretty, you know, simple road?
2: I wouldn't say it's the simplest, but I mean, whether you have to go against ULM or Georgia Southern, you feel pretty good about it. Then you either have to play kind of like Old Dominion, maybe Marshall, depending on the matchup. Marshall, that one's going to be, to me, a little bit of a tough one. I kind of I know if you beat a team twice already you'll probably beat them a third time but I do wonder I mean you've got, you've had these big leads against the Warhawks but then by the final score it's like we're in the low teens like they were able to come back and if it comes down to some free throws you look as a team it's okay but it's like if you got Jordan Brown shooting late and it's, these are some critical three free throws th- that could be the difference in the game
1: well, what's interesting is you look at Jordan Brown's free throw numbers and you know if he duplicates a 2-for-11 performance or anything even close to it, if early on in the game he goes to the foul line a couple times and he's missing his free throws, do you think the other team's coach kind of says, hey, let's rotate some guys in to keep people out of foul trouble mm-hmm. and just start hack-a-shacking him"? I think, I think if it comes down to
2: it and you've got to keep yourself in the game, I could see that as a possibility. Because because if I mean, you can if you can force Jordan Brown to go and shoot 14 15 free throws and he only makes 6 of them, final score it could be with only like a couple of possessions. Yep. And maybe the other team ends up winning. Like that's that's a big thing is I remember watching a video and you you when you're looking at the March Madness tournament, he was kind of showing a graphic of the amount of free throws shooting late by teams and how many they make—it's mm-hmm. like you can't trust those teams that don't make their free throws late because that's the difference in the game. Absolutely. And in these Especially, matchups, if you're if you're going into the playoff, this is do or die. Like you're putting in all your effort. This isn't just a
1: regular season game. Oh, you 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 can't lose another game. Correct. You can't lose. If you want to make, I mean, the the chances here are, are so slim. But if you want to win a national championship. You can't lose from here on out. You gotta win three games in the conference tournament and then you gotta win five or six in the dance. But there there's no margin for error anymore if if you're the Louisiana Cajuns because now, like we said, back's against the wall. It's lose and go home from here on out. This is do or die at this point. If you gotta play James Madison
2: or Marshall again. That one, it was a good win 77-67 just a couple weeks ago. But if it comes down to the free throws, that could that changes the whole thing. And you see the Raging Cages out in their second game in the in the yep. sum out playoffs.
1: Yep. Things are going to get very, very interesting on the Florida panhandle this weekend. But we'll go ahead and take a timeout here. And when we return, we'll talk about LSU's big weekend in Round Rock plus the Cajuns getting a four-game sweep over BYU inside Russo Park. All that and more here next.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Join us for a day of golf and giving at the Games Charity Golf Scramble benefiting Redbird Ministries, sponsored by courtesy of Bro Bridge. Hit the links at Farm Alley while supporting a great cause with all proceeds from the tournament going towards Redbird Ministries' mission of serving families who have been given the extraordinary cross to carry the loss of a child. In addition to 18 holes of golf, the day will include great prizes, food, drink, and a great day with the staff at The Game and Courtesy Bro Bridge. So gather your friends and colleagues for a fun day on the course while making a difference in the lives of those in need. Get your foursome together and register now at 1037thegame.com, and together we can make a difference.
0: Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Or twenty one here on your Monday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James and Mesh. Give us a call on the game hotline. 337-706-0111. And if you have been listening to our station throughout the day today, you have heard the promos for Ariel Angels presented by Michael's Men's Club on March the 8th. If you want to win a pair of tickets... Call us right now on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Have two pairs of tickets to give away today. So once again, 337-706-0111 if you want to be at the Ariel Angels show at Michael's. So, LSU, you know, every year when baseball kind of gets rolling, you have these big Early season tournaments. The Astros have hosted the Shriners College Classic for for a couple years now. Recently, the Round Rock Classic came to be a thing at Dell Diamond. Uh, Carbach Brewing puts that one on. Cajuns played in it last year, went zero for three, struggled mightily, uh, but it it helped them propel later in the season and, and kind of have experience against high quality teams. The Tigers of LSU went into the Round Rock Classic this year with a much different place to be. They were the top dog. They were the team to beat. And the first game they played Kansas State on Friday, it was a 7-3 to victory for LSU in a game that actually ended – Thanks to the new college baseball rules. It ended on a batter's box violation for strike three. But, you know, you look at the game, Dylan Cruz gets an RBI single. Trey Morgan had a nice game as well. And that was just the beginning of a big weekend for Dylan Cruz. He went two for four on Friday. Tommy White did return to the lineup as well. You had Jared Jones get a a big two-run double in this game. So, again, 7-3 to in favor of the Tigers. And then day two, you know, sometimes it's, it's just baseball. LSU was down from the jump. They gave up three runs in the first, three more in the fourth, and four in the eighth. To fall to Iowa 12 to 4. Dylan Cruz, again, getting two RBIs in this contest. And then yesterday, you know, we talk about baseball being a game where you can see the lowest of lows and the highest of highs in back to back days. And that's exactly what happened. You lost 12-4 to Iowa on Saturday. You turned around and beat Sam Houston 16-4 yesterday. The Tigers scoring 10 runs in the first three innings. 23 base hits for the Bayou Bengals. And again, we're going to talk about Dylan Cruz. What a game he had in this one. Going 5-6. of Scoring four runs and plating four RBIs. Braden Jobert getting five RBIs of his own in this contest. And LSU just continues to show the nation why they're the top team. I mean, look, pe- people can, can say what you want about the the 12-4 loss. Iowa's a good team. They're not a slouch and they have a pitcher that was pitching in this game that was throwing some heat guy was nasty first loss of the year it was at a neutral site you kind was, of get it out the way it, it was right it, it was just one of those things where things just ended up being against LSU and that happens that's baseball you know how you respond by winning 16 to four yesterday in a game that you're supposed to win and then tomorrow night Tomorrow night, you're matching up with Texas at Austin. You win that game, that bad loss to Iowa, people forget about completely. Schedule makers knew what they were doing with that one. Yeah, it's convenient. <laughs> right? It's convenient. convenient. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no need to go home. Why go, we'll just stay an right. extra two nights. Oh,
2: a day off to chill? Okay. Let's go see what's around in Austin. Right. Right.
1: Let's go get some rafts and hang out in Barton Springs.
2: Okay. Get a nice practice in. Yeah. Good for y'all.
1: Absolutely. So LSU will play Texas tomorrow at 6.30. You can hear it right here on the game with pregame beginning at 6 o'clock right after we get off the air. And then they're going to get a nice tune-up series this weekend. Butler. Two games against Central Connecticut State, and then close it out with Butler once again. Uh, That doesn't spell tune-up series quite hard enough. That is an opportunity for Jay Johnson to say, Hey, freshman that hasn't played yet, go, go get some innings. Go get some work. Yikes can can we see some mercy rules in those games this weekend? probably. probably. seem in the 7th inning. Oh man. Quick recap of McNeese baseball 3 and 4 to start the season. They did take <coughs> Excuse me. They did take 2 out of 3 over the weekend at UT Arlington 10 to 4 on Friday, 12 to 8 on Saturday before falling 12 to 6 to the Mavericks yesterday. They'll be back in the Joe tomorrow to take on Matt Deggs' group, the Louisiana Rage and Cajuns coming in 6 and 1 on the season off that four-game sweep of BYU. Brendan Moody will get the start for Louisiana while the starter for McNeese, I have not seen them announce a starter quite yet, so might be a, a wait and see game with, with Justin Hill and company. But uh, Brendan Moody will get the start for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, and then McNeese softball ten and five so far on the season. They went two and two this weekend in the Cowgirl Classic, winning both games against Stephen F. Austin four to three and five to four, respectively. And then matched up with a really good Ole Miss team, the same team that the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns are going to play today. Uh, they McNeese fell to Ole Miss eight to two, and then seven to two at Cowgirl Diamond. And and look, you know McNeese is trying to duplicate what they were able to do last year. Uh, they're the favorites to win the Southland. You're going through some rough patches. You've played a lot of strong competition early on. You played number 22, you beat them. You played number 12, and at one point during the game, they were number 9. You beat them. You hung with number 15 in Kentucky at the Tracy Beard Classic, and then you just played two games against Ole Miss. It's a rough start to the schedule, and you've handled it very well at 10-5. and five. So, I think that there's a lot of positives to take away from that if you're James Landrineau. And I think the Cowgirls are going to be just fine. And I think Justin Hill's group is going to be just fine as well. Um, Three and four is not a bad start. It's not a great start, uh, but it's not a bad one. You've just, you know, up and down baseball. You've had good games. You've had games that, that have looked a little bleak. You've had one game that just looked downright ugly. But again, it's baseball, it's early on, it's a long season, and you're going to have plenty of opportunities to get yourself back on the right track as you head in to Southland Conference play. We're going to get ready to take a timeout here. When we return here at 4.31 on your Monday, Jay Walker will join us. We will talk about... The Sun Belt Conference tournaments in Pensacola will also get his thoughts on Louisiana Rage of Cajuns baseball off to their 6 and 1 start here.
0: Going deep downfield, he's got a receiver, it's caught! Touchdown, Louisiana! Can't get enough of the vermilion and white? Then you're in luck. Here is the Cajuns corner with the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, Jay Walker, on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
1: Jay Walker. You're one day of the week where you're not going to be running around with your head cut off. How are you?
5: Uh, well, you know, I'm hoping that my head stays intact. Um, it's going to be a busy week, no question about it. But I'm good.
1: So tomorrow you're going to be in Lake Charles.
5: No. Tomorrow no. I'm heading to Pensacola. Okay. And um, because we've got, because I've got women's basketball Wednesday night. Okay. So I'll head to Pensacola tomorrow. Uh, Cody and Bab will do baseball. Um, And then I will be there at least until Sunday morning and hopefully till Tuesday morning.
1: This guy's, this guy's going to get his suntan on.
5: Um, You know, I don't, I don't do the beach much, Matt, because I'm getting really, really tired of people pointing and screaming free Willie. And, um, so I so I try to stay away from the beach. Although we're staying on the beach, I I may go out take my chances.
1: As as you should. But Jay, you know, let, let's start with the men's side. Louisiana's coming into this as a 2 seed fresh off of being the first team to go undefeated inside the Cajun Dome ever. And in my opinion, I think you got a pretty favorable draw here in, in the Sunbelt tournament.
5: You know, I got to tell you, I was just talking with uh Sam DiMuzio, who handles promotions for the Cajuns. I said that the quarterfinal round in the men's uh, division might be the most interesting quarterfinal day maybe in the history of the conference tournament. Now, let me explain why. If the seeds hold, okay, four place five. That's James Madison and Troy. James Madison got a two-point win at Troy, earlier in the season. Marshall plays Old Dominion. Now that's a rivalry game, and anything can happen when they play. The Cajuns would play Georgia Southern, who was only up by 19 at halftime when they played the Cajuns without Andre Savrasov, their all-conference player. And then you've got Southern Miss and South Alabama, and South Alabama just beat them by 30 a couple weeks ago. So I don't think any of the four seeds are a lock to get to the semifinals. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying any of them are going to lose. Okay, They may all win, but boy, those matchups are intriguing, and I can't wait for uh, for uh, Thursday to, to see those quarterfinal games.
1: You know, there, it, it's been a while. I, at I'm least, sorry, I've,
5: that's Saturday. Saturday's the quarterfinals.
1: I feel like it's been a while, Jay, since you've had a Sunbelt tournament this tight. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean there's I agree. There, there there's six six maybe even seven teams that I feel like could win the whole thing.
5: Yeah, and now that I've said that, I honestly think one of the top 3 seeds is going to. Um I think at the end of the day they're better and I mean there's a reason why they're the top 3 seeds. And one of the reasons is they've been the most consistent. So um, there could be there could be an upset. There could even be two, but I think the team that cuts down the Nets is going to be one of the top three.
1: Now, player of the year awards were, were out today, and Tavion Kinsey was named Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year, like you predicted to me this morning. Um, no Cajuns. Got individual awards. However, Jordan Brown was on the first team. Greg Williams was on the second team. In in your opinion, do you think you could use that as extra motivation heading into the tournament?
5: Well, that might be a personal thing. You know, that might be, um, you know, that that might be Jordan saying, okay, you know, that's fine. But uh, let me show you what I can do, and let me show you what you missed. Uh, he could. Uh, I don't know. You know, Jordan. Jordan is playing and played this year, and Bob Marlin talked about this today with a great deal of maturity and so i don't, I don't know how much that's going to affect him one way or the other I don't, I don't I can't see Jordan being all butthurt about this I, you know I think Cajun fans are going to be upset, and I think maybe the teammates will be upset but i I don't think that's going to be that big a deal um, you know either one of those guys could' have won it i I honestly think that if you if you totaled up. The number of um, the the people that voted that voted first, first team, second team, third team. and, And what they do is they'll say, okay, your best player gets 15 and then the next player gets 14. and They do a point thing. I'll bet if they totaled it up, Jordan Brown had the most points. But when it was time to vote for the player of the year, there were I'll bet you Kinsey got maybe one more vote than Jordan did.
1: Now, you know, looking at the women's side of things, Jay, looking at their bracket, the Cajuns are coming into this as the 7 seed. They're going to play the 10 seed App State on Wednesday night, 7:30. And if you win that, you're going to play a Texas State team that you're familiar with. You've played them twice. You went to San Marcos, beat them by 20. And then they came to Lafayette just this past week. You had some chances to to turn around and beat them again. Fell a little bit short. You know, is that familiarity and the amount of time since you've played them, it only being a week if you get there,
5: is that an advantage for Louisiana? I don't know if that's an advantage. I do know this. You look, in the second round, they're going to play an old Dominion team. I'm, I'm sorry, an Appalachian state team that they handled pretty well up in Boone. Well, then in the in the in the third round the quarterfinals now you're looking at playing a Texas State team that you know you can beat cuz you already did okay now i don't know that the familiarity of 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 them playing in the last week helps them as much as knowing they've already beaten them helps them then excuse me a second <sighs> sorry if you if you win that then you play a Southern Miss team that you lost to by one on the road, lost to in overtime at home. You probably should have beaten them both games. Yeah. So I think there's a path for the Cajuns to get to the championship game. Now, they're going to have to play really well in order to be able to do that. But the matchups aren't bad for the Cajuns. So I, I think there, there could be a path to get to Monday. Because I think this team is going to go in with a little bit of a chip on its shoulder because they dropped their last three. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that they got a bad taste in their mouth about what happened with Southern Ness. And so I, I think they're going to go in with, with some confidence, knowing that they can play with all of these teams on that side of the bracket. So I think there's a path there. And now, I, don't, I think it's a narrow path, okay? But there's a path. To get to Monday for the women,
1: chatting with Jay Walker here on Cajuns Corner. Let's go to Diamond Sports now. What a weekend for baseball! Getting four wins against a top fifty program in BYU. Three of them were by a run, and then one of them was just an absolute shellacking—eleven to nothing. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the four wins?
5: Uh, well, you know it's crazy. You uh, you got cut up Wednesday pretty good by uh, by a freshman. Um, and then the next day you face the ace and 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 you and, and you beat him up, and then you you walk ten, and you punch out fourteen times, and you still win two to one. And then you know then yesterday was yesterday. I mean I, I don't know I, I don't know exactly what that was, but but the bottom line is you know in the middle in the uh, in the middle innings you you found a way to, to go ahead and. And, and assert yourself and and wind up winning that game too. The the thing the things that I like, okay, you got to find different ways to win. The Cajuns did that. They were um, trailing or tied in two of the four games in the seventh inning and found ways to win those. Um, yeah, you walked ten in that two to one game, and your bullpen walked five, but they didn't give up any hits. And, um, so, you know, I mean, you can dwell on the free base runners and look, they've got to clean that up because sooner or later, that's going to bite them on the ass. I mean, that's just the way it is because you're going to play a lot of good teams in, uh, in the 2023 season. And a lot of them are in your own conference. So that's something you have to clean up. But one thing that I learned this week is that this pitching staff has good stuff. Now they need to be able to harness it, but they've got good stuff. I, I think right now the question is consistency. Um, you know, you had you had two guys step up in uh, Moody and Ray, and kind of made a statement like, "Hey, hey guys, you know, look at me as one of your weekend guys." Well, they have to show that they can do it with consistency. But we sure liked what we saw on Wednesday and Thursday. So, and and then if you look. You know, the offense is clicking, you're scoring runs, um, and your best player really hasn't gotten untrapped yet. Uh, you're, you know, you, the guy who was your leadoff hitter last year is hitting the buck 20 at third base. And, and so there's a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of room with improvement for this offense, too. So, you know, let's watch the pitching staff. Let's see who emerges as guys that are consistently reliable. And you're gonna have seven or eight of them that will and then um, and then those other guys, you know you're gonna use it in other ways. but consistency with the pitching staff is big, but we know now that they all have good stuff, and that was good to see.
1: Looking at softball now, a four and one week for Jerry Glasgow's group, including a pair of top twenty five victories over UCF. And LSU, but then you fell short yesterday, four to one to the Tigers inside Lampson Park. You're going to bounce back and host Ole Miss in about 40 minutes. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts on the weekend for, for Jerry Glasgow's group?
5: Oh, I, you know, it's been a while since they beat beaten LSU. So, uh, you know, to, to go to Tiger Park and get that, that was good. And let me tell you something we talk about sometimes with freshmen the game being too fast or the moment being too big. The moment's not too big for Chloe Riossetto. That girl's got ice water in her veins. I don't know that she's got the best stuff, all right, but she's going to go out and battle, and, and you know, Deggs uses the term pitch with intent, and she does that, and she proved that in the game Saturday in Baton Rouge. Now, Sunday she came back, she allowed two inherited runners to score, but she didn't give up any. So, you know, this is something that we saw in Clearwater, the, the This young lady's starting to get her footing underneath her. Um, You know, they just didn't get the crucial hit on Sunday, and LSU did. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Um, Getting Ms. Davis back is a game-changer for the softball program. I think if they had her in clear water, they'd probably win two more games. Um, I I think she's special, uh, Matt. And, and I don't say that often. I think she's special, and she's going to go down as I think one of the greats in Cajun history before it's over with. And she's just adding another dimension. And they're going to they're going to need her because you know you're going to play Texas twice this weekend. You're going to play a good McNeese team, and then next week you got to go play Florida twice. So you've got more chances. To showcase your talents against top-notch competition, Um, you know I know that there was some oh why why aren't they back in the polls? Well, hey, they lost five in a row, okay, and they did get two wins against ranked teams, but to to get back in the polls, they probably needed three and they didn't get them. So, but that's going to take care of themselves. Polls don't mean anything anyway, Um, but they'll be they'll be fine. Um, I I, overall I I liked what I saw at a softball this week.
1: Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, joining us here for Cajun's Corner. Jay, appreciate you as always. Have a great week. Stay safe over there in Pensacola, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week.
5: I'll look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. Go Cajuns.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Now here at the game, we know that you love our shenanigans, both on and off the air. Now we're giving you the opportunity to help us. So go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at the game, Louisiana, and hit the bell so that you can get notifications. When we post our brand new content and game recaps, help us get to a thousand followers and see even more of our fun behind the scenes at the game, Louisiana on YouTube.
0: You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside. The receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Reminder, if you want to go see Ariel Angels... Just call us on the hotline, 337 706 That way you can win your pair of tickets. We're giving out two today. Looking at the poll question, what impressed you the most about the Cajuns' four-game sweep over BYU on the baseball diamond? Was it the starting pitching? Was it the timely hitting? Was it closing out those closed games, or was it something else? Closing out those closed games is leading heavily 57% while the timely hitting is at 24.5%, 8% goes towards the pitching, and then the final 10% is going towards other. It's pretty big. I mean, especially for 11 to 10 on Sunday to complete the sweep. That one was a, a nice little barn burner baseball wise.
1: Yeah. You know, it, looking at the weekend, Jay kind of alluded to it. Wednesday night, you got cut up by, by a freshman. I mean, you really had to scratch and claw for the three of the four runs coming in the 8th inning. I mean, you really had to fight for that win. And then Friday, I mean, Thursday you faced the ace and you kill him. You win 11 nothing. And then the other two games, really you you had to scratch and claw yet again. You you look at Friday's game, you walked 10 batters and you struck out 14 times in the game. And yet you still won. I know it's early, and I know it's a small sample size, but hearing things like that, this team might be special. This might be a special group. There is the potential
2: of that, and then kind of looking towards LSU, I know this whole hour has kind of been mainly Cajuns, but kind of looking at the women's basketball game, finish up the regular season. Beating Mississippi State, 74-59. Yep. Now, Matt, here's an interesting stat for you because I know you love your stats. I mean, so do I. But yeah, I'm, they a, took, I'm
1: a stats junkie.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. But look, 14 total threes. You know how many of the Tigers made? Zero. There it is. Good old goose egg. Now, what was interesting is Kim Mulkey in the Pulse game press conference kind of talked about how they went 0-3 from downtown, but they still won.
6: Are you watching my eyes? I'm sitting there looking at that right now, and I said, ooh, we won by 15, and we did not hit 1-3. I knew Jasmine didn't hit a three, but I didn't realize that we shot it 14 times and didn't make one. I don't know that I've ever been a part of a game where we didn't make at least a 1-3, but I'll take those 27 free throws. I'll take those 48 rebounds. Whatever it takes, they um, came through and won eight Turnovers, I see that, too, because I've been harping on that. We've just played, in my opinion, the hottest team in the SEC. Those guys take you off the dribble as good as anybody. They played South Carolina to within eight. They have beaten a lot of teams here of late. They're playing good, and they will get in the NCAA tournament. And if they don't, it would be awful. And, uh, and I told him. Sam, that their coach, um, they're playing hard for him. He runs good stuff, and um, I was proud of our effort.
1: You know, when when you look at at the LSU women's basketball team, it, it's really incredible what they were able to do this year, and really in the first two years under Kim Mulkey. So I. Looking at where the record stands now, they've played 60 games with Kim Mulkey at LSU. She's 53-7. and That's impressive. And now they're the two seed in the SEC tournament. They're going to go all the way to the quarterfinals automatically. They'll play Friday at 5 o'clock. It's going to be interesting to see how this weekend plays out for Kim Mulkey's group. Could they run into South Carolina yet again? We'll find out. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with some NASCAR. Kyle Busch getting a win at Fontana. We'll talk with Toby Christie about all of that and much more right here on The Game.
0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Hour number two of Crunch Time is here on the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the Game hotlines is 337-706-0111. That's 706-0111. In hour number one, there's a lot of ones there. In hour number one, we talked about Louisiana men's basketball finishing off the undefeated season at home. For the first time in the Cajun Dome era, we also previewed the Sun Belt Conference tournaments for both the men and the women. Here in hour number two, we're going to talk a little more LSU. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints. Carson Wentz got cut today. Where does he fit into the equation of who's going to be the next quarterback for the New Orleans Saints? We'll talk about all that and much more. But right now, it's Rubbin' is racing time. Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joins us on the game hotline to recap a historic victory for one Mr. Kyle Bush. Toby, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Oh, man, doing fantastic. I I'd be doing better personally if one and two were flipped yesterday, <laughs> if Chase Elliott would have won the race, but, you know, I I I can th- I can be okay with a P two.
3: Yeah, I mean I think a, a a big portion of the NASCAR fan base would been happier that way. But you know Kyle Busch is actually starting to gain quite a fan base in his own right. I know a lot of people still don't like him, uh, but there was a pretty Myself good portion included. of people that were cheering about his win.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's historic, no question. And now he's it's nineteen consecutive seasons that he's won at least one race. And this was his first win with Richard Childress Racing, and everybody knows the, the history behind RCR. And now what, what, what it also did yesterday was it made Kurt and Kyle Busch the winningest brother duo in, in the history of NASCAR. Look, I, I'm not a Kyle Busch fan, but I, I, can, I can respect the dominance that he's had on the sport over the last 15 to 20 years.
3: For sure. For sure. I mean, I I think the stranglehold he's had on it, especially when you kind of take Jimmy Johnson out of the equation now that he's no longer a full-time competitor in the NASCAR Cup Series. uh, The the guy that really stands above the rest uh, over that time period is is definitely Kyle Busch. And it just seems like he's just getting started, Uh, and especially with this new new venture at RCR. It seems like things have really sparked uh, with Kyle Busch. He's been very competitive right out of the gate and uh, won a race and a second start with the team. Looked like he should have the Daytona 500 as well, had it not been for the late race uh, uh, caution there with Daniel Suarez. So, uh, you know, it's a very, very strong start to the RCR tenure for, uh, for Kyle Busch.
1: And then, you know, looking at another team that had a, a strong weekend was uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Chase Elliott finishing second, Alex Bowman finishing eighth. Two drivers in the top ten. Trackhouse had the same thing with, with Chastain and Suarez. Uh, talk, talk about the weekends for both of those teams.
3: Yeah, I mean you you hit the nail on the head there. The uh, the the cream's kind of rising to the to the top all of a sudden. Now we're hitting these tracks that aren't Daytona, and I think we're going to keep seeing more of that where these teams you expect to do well, these drivers you expect to do well are going to kind of start really showing out. And, and like you said, Hendrick Motorsports was uh, was really good. You had Chase Elliott in the second, but it wasn't just Chase Elliott either. I mean, they had Alex Bowman was running really well during this race. Uh, actually had the lead early on in this thing. Um, you know, pretty much every Hendrick car would have had to chance at contending at this thing at one point or another, but uh, Kyle Larson, of course, had the uh, electrical issues uh, that knocked him out early in this thing, uh, or he probably would have been in the mix as well for the win. Uh, so, really, really good day for, for Hendrick and, of course, Trackhouse, like you mentioned, Chastain and Suarez, third and fourth. Uh, these guys just seem to get it done week in and week out, and Ross Chastain won both stages. He's now won the last three stages that have been contested in the Cup Series. Gives uh, he one stage two at Daytona as well, so uh, these guys are definitely picking up right where they left off last year.
1: It felt like there were a ton of cautions in, in this race yesterday. You had the big nine-car wreck in stage 2 that kind of trimmed out the field. You talked about Kyle Larson having his electrical issues, Bubba Wallace, Ty Dillon, Christopher Bell. You know, just kind of talk about the the issues that a lot of drivers seemed to have yesterday.
3: Yeah, I mean it was just kind of one of those things where I think it was a circumstance of the fact that we had no practice, no qualifying going into the race, and it's the first real race that's not a not a super speedway race uh, to start the year, uh, and to have no practice, no qualifying, you know, really no testing or anything in the offseason either. So you go into it just kind of cold turkey, hoping everything works and fires off the uh, out of the gates. Then of course you had uh, the rainy, snowy conditions as well, which wreak havoc on uh, electrical components inside race cars. And uh, that's kind of what bit, you know, Kyle Larson and uh, some of these other guys uh, had some issues throughout the day as well. But uh, but overall, most of it was kind of self-inflicted stuff. The restart uh, there that took out, like you said, the nine guys that were involved in that. That was a that was a deal where I, I think we're actually seeing the the impact of this new extended restart zone that NASCAR made for this year uh, because guys can kind of play with that zone a little bit more. There's more room to kind of mess around and before you go and take off, so. I think we saw a little bit of that with the gamesmanship there with Joey Logano and some of the other guys that kind of stacked that thing up uh, to cause the crash behind them. Uh, but overall, I think considering there was no practice, no no qualifying, stuff like that, the rainy weekend and, and everything, I think to have one or two guys with some mechanical issues, uh, I think people will walk out of here and take that.
1: Chatting with Toby Christie here on Crunch Time now. Toby, looking at Auto Club, now you're you're going to reconfigure to a short track the track has been sold, things are kind of up in the air for the future of NASCAR in California. Because, I mean, you have Sonoma, you have the road course, you now have the the clash at the Coliseum, but Fontana's a staple, and now it's kind of up in the air.
3: Yeah, yeah, the big question is when does it return? Because the, 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 the talk has been since 2020 that they're going to be turning this thing into a short track. Of course, COVID delayed things there. Uh, Now we're at 2023. We've run our last race on the two-mile oval. Uh, Obviously, Sports Business Journal reported that they're selling off a good portion of the land there at Auto Club Speedway. So it will not be the two-mile track going forward. But the question now remains, when will the short track actually be ready? We know it won't be ready in 2024. It's already off the schedule for that season. Uh, Is it ready for 2025? Will it not be ready till 2026? Will it ever be ready at all? So that's the question you start asking yourself, especially as this thing starts kind of taking shape uh, and how things are going. Is there a different short track in the area that's more of a viable option uh, that maybe NASCAR covets more? Who knows? Uh, It's one of those things that we really don't know until we actually see some construction happening on this thing before we get a really true good gauge of what's actually happening. But uh, for now, we have to kind of go with what we've been told, that this two-mile oval is going to be turning into a half-mile short track.
1: And, you know, I know that NASCAR fans are looking for more short track racing, which is part of the reason why that they are converting it. But like you said, it's not going to be ready in 2024, and it's unknown when it's going to be ready. So has NASCAR discussed what's going to replace that slot on the schedule going forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's some people that are rumoring that possibly the, uh, the LA Memorial Coliseum could move from the clash to being a points race next year. Uh, We've heard some some rumblings of that this season. If that happens, that, I would imagine, takes the spot of this until that half-mile track is available. Um, But there's also been people saying, hey, what about Irwindale? How about this? How about that? So there are other options. Uh, Ultimately, NASCAR could also decide to not stay in that market uh, until this track's ready, whenever it's ready. Uh, I I don't find that to be the thing that I believe would happen because they've definitely made an effort the last couple years to be in these big markets, so the L.A. area... Uh, They're working on trying to get into the New York area. They've been trying to do that for a long, long time, but there's definitely a path forward that could possibly make sense there in the future. Uh, You've got the Chicago street race this year. So they're making a a concerted effort to try to get into the hearts of these these big market areas now, uh, especially with the the new car that can compete on these super short tracks, these weird, crazy street courses. So um, I find it hard to believe that that area will just be gone altogether. Um, I also find it hard to believe that the L.A. Memorial Coliseum will be a points race forever if it does end up being a points race next season. I don't know if that's a permanent spot on the schedule as a points race. So there's a lot of questions that still have to be answered, and we really won't know much of that until we start seeing what next year's schedule looks like and can start asking and ask our questions.
1: So I know that that's a small sample size, only two races in, but who's really stood out in your opinion as as maybe an early – You know, keep an eye on this guy to win a championship and who's maybe been disappointing so far.
3: Yeah, and you got to look at Kyle Busch. I know it's easy to do because he just won, uh, but the guy's been fast in every session that we've had so far, whether it be practice qualifying, duels, Daytona, uh, here at Montana this past week. The guy's been really fast. He obviously has that fire in his eyes. He wants to prove everybody wrong, wants to prove Joe Gibbs Racing wrong because he feels like they didn't do enough to keep him there. Uh, even though Denny Hamlin and others have said that Joe Gibbs Racing gave a very competitive offer that Kyle Busch turned down, so uh, it's one of those things that where Kyle Busch kind of he puts a chip on his shoulder, and he's a guy that really uh, drives with his heart a lot of times, and uh, if something's bothering him. You usually see it based on what he does on the racetrack. So uh, this is a guy that's got something to prove. Uh, I know it's hard to believe a guy with two championships and 61 wins now has something to prove, but he definitely still has something to prove, and he looks hell bent on doing so. So I would say Kyle Busch as far as the guy that's really impressed me and looks like a championship contender. As far as somebody who's kind of let me down uh, to this point in the season, I feel like, you know, I wouldn't have to say like a, a William Byron. I felt like William Byron would be coming out of the gates a little bit uh, a little bit stronger, or like a Tyler Reddick, because Reddick's had some really bad luck these first two races as well. So those are the two guys I'd kind of circle as like my disappointment so far this year.
1: As we start to wrap up with Toby Christie, the Xfinity race last night was Cole Custer's to lose until he got in that really bad wreck and it, it kind of took him out of things and, and it made a window for John Hunter Nemechek to take the checkered flag. What were your, your thoughts on that race?
3: Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I felt like that was definitely Cole Custer's race to to lose and he didn't end up losing it, uh, unfortunately for him. Uh, I think it's, signals overall the strength that he's going to have this year. I don't think this is going to be the only opportunity he has to win a race, but that was definitely his best opportunity to win a race uh, And the here and now was a track that he dominated at last year, was dominating at last night uh, by winning the two stages and looked like he had the best car. Uh, but ultimately wasn't there uh, at the finish. And that's the thing you have to have in these races is to be there at the finish or you can't win these things. So uh, John Hunter Nemechek from from that standpoint had it uh, figured out. He uh, kind of was there uh, throughout the entire night. It wasn't that he lucked into it by any means. Uh, he had a fast car and even had some debris on the grill and the closing laps that was shooting water out the hood. And uh, the, the the engine stayed together long enough on that on uh, on that on that car to make it to finish. And, and he wins the race and, Now he's uh, locked in the playoffs, a familiar spot for him uh, based on his truck series uh, competition he's had the last couple seasons. So now in the Xfinity Series this year, he's locked in the playoffs, and it looks like uh, he'll be a pretty big threat to win the championship.
1: Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joining us here on the game hotline. NASCAR is headed to Sin City this coming weekend for a... It's usually an entertaining race in Las Vegas. Toby, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy those races this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again next week.
3: Yeah, definitely. Let me know, Matt. I'm sure we can make, uh, make something work. It's always fun talking to you guys.
1: And there he goes, Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. Before we take a timeout, two quick pieces of McNeese news that have come across. Uh, McNeese head softball coach James Landrineau has announced that McNeese and Jill Poulard Mutually parted ways. Jill Poulard is no longer a member of the Cowgirls softball team. A reason has not been provided at this time. And also for football news, quarterback Knox Kadem has entered the transfer portal. He is a graduate transfer with two years of eligibility remaining, and that takes one leg out of the quarterback conversation. For McNeese and Gary Goff just two quick pieces of news that we needed to get to but we'll take a time out here when we return we'll talk a interesting move by a now former LSU Tiger and much more right here on the game
0: this is crunch time on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana's sports station your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros
1: you can win a VIP package for Michael's Men's Club's Aerial Angels event on March 8th by sending a simple text. To score a table for four with bottle service and appetizers, simply join the game's text club by texting ANGELS to 283 That's ANGELS to 337 283 Once you are a member, you'll be able to score tickets to see Aerial Angels at Michael's Men's Club, courtesy of
0: the game's text club. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: All right, James. Let's look at some top stories in sports. The Chicago Bears are looking towards selling the number one overall pick. Who should take it from them? In your opinion, the Houston Texans don't really need to move. They're at two. I I don't see a point in moving from two to one. And they have 12. Unless you have a guy that, I
2: have to have this guy. Unless you decide to pull a Chicago Bears and move up one pick when you didn't need to. (laughs) Right.
1: Anyways, one team that really stands out to me as a You should probably look at moving the Indianapolis Colts. Yep. You're at four. You wouldn't have to give up a lot to move up to one. You would give up your four. You would probably give up a third rounder this year and maybe a second next year. I don't know that you would have to give up multiple firsts to move up those three spots. uh, Because Chicago would still get the player that they want. Because you don't need a quarterback. And Indianapolis 100% does. So if I'm them, I move up to number one, and then I say it's out of C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I
2: I agree with that because, to me, they need to stop going for the veteran quarterback, especially the older ones that are washed, and then just go get a young guy. Now, I think you should bring in a vet again, Maybe not necessarily have Matt Ryan. Maybe you could bring him back. I mean, it's kind of iffy just depending on how you see it. But definitely bring in somebody. Bring bring in somebody and go draft a quarterback. I like them. I think they're the likelihood to get the number one overall pick if Chicago is to move on from that selection.
1: So I'm, I'm interested to see what what le- ultimately led them to this decision because there were talks oh they might trade Justin Fields because that's not the guy that this general manager drafted and and blah 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 and now you're selling so was the GM convinced that you know Justin Fields is the guy I mean that that had to be what it was but like I would just like to know Kind of, if now you know that he's the guy, what took you so long to figure that out? Kind of thing. And maybe not. They're ne-
2: maybe they're not necessarily completely sold on Justin Fields, and what they're doing with this overall, the first overall pick, is I like the idea. Is you move back, and maybe you move back again, like you move two or three mm-hmm. times back, stack picks. You stack a whole bunch of picks, and you accumulate draft capital over the next couple of years, in case Justin Fields doesn't really pan out for you, and you're like, I'm over it, you'll now have other picks to be able to move up in whatever draft you want to go get whatever QB you want. Correct. That way you get your guy and you're not being like, oh, I'm stuck with Justin Fields because I didn't want him and I don't like the way he's developing. Let me go get this. Now we can't. Because now, if you if you were to stay with the pick, I mean, you, got, you just draft just this... This guy that you want, he'll probably be really good for you. But you'd rather go get a whole bunch of other guys and go get a whole bunch of other picks with this one trade that could accumulate to a whole bunch.
1: Okay, so let's talk about this, and we'll dive into it a little deeper with Brendan Ertle here in the next segment. Carson Wentz got cut. Mm -hmm. He's now on the open market. We've talked ad nauseum about who's going to play quarterback for the Saints, and you and I agree that it's Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, one and two. Where does Carson Wentz fit on that list? Is he three? Is he is he four? Or is it to the point where everybody just believes that Carson Wentz will never be what he was and stay away from it?
2: My opinion? Are we counting Daniel Jones? Because technically his deal is up.
1: Is that a realistic option for the Saints, though? No, I really do. So think, then, I, I really think he's gonna go back. So I would so I would say no. Okay. Because we're okay. we're looking at realistic options here for the Saints. Um because yeah, I mean I'm with you. I I think he's going to go back to the Giants. I think Lamar's gonna go back to the Ravens. So is Carson Wentz third on that list? I'd probably put Jacoby Brissett as the third. Really?
2: What has Baker or Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Darnold or Carson Wentz showed you? Well, Jacoby hasn't shown a lot either, what about but i say what's
1: Jacoby Brissett showing you
2: I to me I'd just rather him. At least he doesn't get injured every other game.
1: I mean That's I,
2: that's the thing is are you really gonna bring in another guy? That's just super injury riddled. The Saints already have enough injuries. Do you really need to have your quarterback be the guy that's super
1: injury riddled as well? I mean, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I, I don't. I. Jacoby Brissett. Just... Jacoby.
2: Jacoby's been around the block. He's been on a couple of teams. He's been the starting quarterback for a couple of teams.
1: Dude's eighteen and thirty as a starting quarterback. He's barely thrown for ten thousand yards in his career. Ah, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that there there isn't anything there. But but here's the thing: we're nitpicking at this point. You're you're nit.
2: We're nitpicking at quarterbacks because even when even if you depending on where you put all these quarterbacks. Derek Carr, you want to say he's top fifteen? I'm saying he's top eighteen. Okay, that's still middle of the pack. Same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo. These are just middle of the pack quarterbacks, and these are your best options. You going from three, four, five, whether it's Baker, Sam, Carson, Teddy Bridgewater, whoever you want to name at that point, these are all just kind of on the lower, in the lower, near the lower third. Like these, th- you're nitpicking at this point. It doesn't make much of a difference. It's it's almost a personal preference at that point.
1: They're all in the same realm. Yeah. I still think that there's a tier that Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo sit in that the others
2: don't. No, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying those two are middle of the pack. They're in the middle. Everybody else is in the late teens and 20s and beyond. So That's, that's what I'm saying. There's these two. And then there's everyone else. So, so you're you're pretty much nitpick. That's what I'm saying. You're nitpicking yeah. at that point. And I and, and I don't disagree. And it's Personal preference.
1: And I don't disagree with you. But do you do you really think that Jacoby Brissett's better than Carson Wentz? I mean, I I, I know Carson Wentz has an injury history, and I get it. I, I get the concern of that. But dude, we're talking about a guy that before his first ACL injury, he was going to be the MVP of the league.
2: I also don't like that my potential starting quarterback, if it were to be Carson Wentz, it's the same thing with Baker Mayfield. I mean, I've heard a bunch of things where he's not a good teammate. So it's like if, if, if you got not a good teammate as your starting quarterback and he's always injured, why would you want him? Why would you want him?
1: Because who's to say that that's even true? I mean, obviously if it's being talked about, there's something that started that conversation.
2: Like if if I've heard if if I heard it one time, then it's oh well, but have we heard this two or three times?
1: But at the end of the day, you need to win games. And and obviously does Carson
2: Wentz win you games?
1: He has a winning record as a quarterback. He has a almost three to one. Touchdown to interception ratio in his career. I wish
2: I wish we had Ray on right now. Just ask him as a as a Commanders fan, what you had seen last year. Is that somebody you look at and you are like, yeah, that's that's a starting QB I could go for in case in, in case my first two
1: options are gone. Well, to be fair, the guy played eight games. Mm-hmm. He played half the year mm-hmm. and almost threw for two thousand yards in half the season. But re- regardless. You look at his career, he has shown before he dealt with injuries that he knows how to win. He had the Eagles rolling until he tore his ACL, and since then he's just never been the same. But what, what makes
2: you think him coming to New Orleans with the coaching staff that you don't like is going to all of a sudden make Carson Wentz be pre-ACL torn Carson Wentz?
1: Because it's all about the fit. Who knows? Dennis Allen and Carson Wentz might be a great fit. Carson Wentz might magically become this injury-free, healthy quarterback. Now, that's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts. I get it. But if you don't get Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo, what's your better option? Carson Wentz is next on the list. The guy has 151 touchdowns in his career to only 66 picks. That's two and a half to one. For every pick, he has thrown two and a half touchdowns. He's completed 62% of his passes in his career. Now, he has had issues with being a teammate, like we mentioned. He's had issues with injuries. But he knows what it takes to win. And if he finds the right fit, it can work. And it can work really, really well. As a reminder, if you want to win a pair of tickets to Ariel Angels at Michael's Men's Club on March the 8th, call us on the game hotline at 337-706-0111. That's all you have to do. There's no gimmicks. There's no catches. Literally dial the number, James is going to get some information from you, and boom, you got two tickets. So if you want to head to Ariel Angels on March 8th, give us a call now on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. Brendan Erdl joins us
0: next. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that. that! Productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: LSU football has lost a defensive back as Seven Banks has decided to declare for the NFL draft. Now, what's interesting is the deadline to declare for the draft was January the 16th, and the news didn't come out till today. What gives there? Not quite sure. Brendan Ertle joins us now on the game hotline. Brendan, what's going on, bud? How are you?
7: What's up? Doing good. and Yeah, that Seven Banks situation sounds uh, a little weird. Um, I think someone lost his paper somewhere.
1: So what's the what's the benefit to him, if any, that the news comes out this late? He's not, he's on nobody's radar at this point.
7: He's on no one's radar. He missed out on, you know, the Combine, uh, any other bulls. there's plenty of bulls out there, East West, the Shrine Bowl, uh, the Senior Bowl, things like that, and he missed out on everything. And he didn't really show a ton in college. Anyways, but he was more of a bigger name and felt like he had some potential going to um, this coming season with LSU. But, yeah, I, it doesn't make sense to me really at all, but that's his decision, and I hope the best for him.
1: So, looking at some of the latest Saints news, we'll start with the extension of Tano Passigno, who is now extended for two years with the New Orleans Saints. What are your thoughts on the move to keep him as a young, solid edge rusher for this team?
7: Yeah, I love the move. It was one of the, you know, you look at the defensive line free agents that they have this year, and there's not many I'm going to keep. And he was one of the ones that I circled um, that I wanted to keep. And it's it's not a pretty good deal, a two-year, $6 million deal, uh, two-and-a-half guaranteed. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty good deal for a defensive end uh, that's provided some good depth. He's healthy. Uh, Which is a big thing, and uh, he produces, and he's good in the run game as well. So um, I don't think, you know, obvious question next is going to be what does that mean for Davenport. I don't really think it means anything um, in that front, but I think regardless of the situation, he's he's a great depth player, and he can start, uh, you know, five, six, seven games if you need him to. And uh, I don't, I definitely don't think he's he's a solution at at the defensive end position. I still want Paint Turner to compete, and um, I think Davenport's out the door, but. Yeah, he was one of the ones along with like Shy Tuttle, I I think they'll they'll bring him back, but uh yeah, he was one of the ones I wanted to keep.
1: Now looking at contract restructures because the Saints walked into this offseason sixty million over the cap, you're now down to thirty. You've restructured Tyron Matthew, you've restructured Ryan Ramschek, you've restructured Marcus May and a couple others. Who else could be you know, on the radar to get that 30 million under, I know you still have guys like Marshawn Lattimore, Andrus Pete as well, Cam Jordan, you know, who who do you think on that list is priority number one for the Saints?
7: Yeah. I always thought that, um, they restructure the guys that they've had and, and nothing they've done so far surprised me. Um, I'm glad they restructured Tyron as well. That kind of shows that he's in their plans moving forward. And, um, yeah, I think Cam Jordan would be in line for that next. He's always been a reliable guy, and it's something that they already have in the contracts uh, agreed to. So it's not really something that they can turn down. So I, I think Cam would definitely do that. Uh, but the one I'm really looking at next is what happens with with Pete. Um, I I definitely think that they could restructure, um, and it goes to really to what's going to happen with the quarterback situation. Um, you know, Jamus was on NFL Network just a couple days ago, and he started off. Um, by saying, you know, I haven't necessarily been cut yet, but and you don't really start off a situation or a sentence with that statement. So uh, I think that they've kind of told them that they're possibly moving on, and um, I, I would assume that that move would happen here pretty soon, and that would save them around $12 million in cap as well. So uh, that gets it pretty much down almost halfway for them. So I think Pete would be in line for either a restructure, or an outright release, maybe a trade, um, and then you look at other guys like you said, like Lattimore, which has got a ton of money that they can move around, and uh, other big contracts like that. So at, at at this point, it's it's they're at the finishing line; they're they're almost done, and it's not going to be an issue to get under that thirty, and then they'll have plenty of room to make some moves as well.
1: You know, we we've talked about quarterbacks for a while now because the Saints still need one. Uh, Derek Carr is obviously still top of the list. You, you. We found out today that No Deal is imminent with Carr and the Jets, meaning that the Saints are clearly still the front runner. And then you have mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo, who's next.
7: Um, is it Carson so Wentz? Mm, watch your mouth there. Huh? Uh, I, I don't, I don't know about Carson Wentz. Um, i I had some people mention that to me, and I'm going to shoot that down right away. If there's going to be a ginger quarterback in the building, it's going to be Andy Dalton. Um, I don't think Carson Wentz really pushes the needle at all. At that point, I'd rather bring back Andy and Jameis. Um, I, I don't, I'm not even quite sure if Carson Wentz is a starting quarterback at this point. You know, he competed with Taylor Heineke and Sam Howell in Washington and lost both battles. Uh, that kind of shows me a lot. And if I'm being completely honest, I, I would put him, uh, if I had to guess where he's going to end up, I think he's going to end up with Frank Wright in Carolina. and um, They'll probably ride out three, four games with him and then move on to whatever rookie quarterback that they end up drafting. That's that's what I think that they'll end up doing. Um, Saints being the Carson Wentz situation, you're looking for a quarterback that's going to play 17 games, and you're looking for a quarterback that's going to give you, you know, one to five years of good quarterback play. And I know if he gives you, you know, five, six games of good quarterback play. So, their yeah, Derek Carr is obviously top of the list. And from everything I've gathered so far, that it sounds like the Saints have put down a contract and no one else really has. I don't think the Jets have put down a contract, and uh, they've probably talked ballpark of money, but they're like, we can't put a contract down, because obviously we don't. You're you're a franchise quarterback, you're a Hall of Famer, but uh, we want some other guys. So I I think, uh, you know, certainly this week is a big week. It's pretty much free agency part one, that being the NFL Combine, where the tampering period isn't for almost another month, but it feels like the NFL is always tampering. So... This is a big week. I think um, maybe Washington could have a visit with Derek Carr this week. They just released Carson Wentz. Um, but yeah, certainly the Saints are the front runners, and they're kind of the only runners right now because the Jets don't seem too serious at this moment, but you know, it's going to come down to what happens with Aaron Rodgers, and um, if the Saints do miss out on Carr and miss out on a guy like Garoppolo, I, I think they just end up running it back with, with Dalton, and I-, I don't love it. I don't think it's the right right thing to do, but you know Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Winston, all those guys don't really do much for you, and they'll kind of cost. They're they're not going to be veteran minimum cheap. So, um, yeah, it's it's for me right now. It's Car Car the draft.
1: Okay, so let's so let's play this hypothetical. Say you don't get Carr or Garoppolo. Mhm. You bring back Andy Dalton, which I, I don't hate. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Mhm. Then. Do you take either your first or second-round selection and get a Hinden hooker and have him learn?
7: Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm so against a guy Carson Wentz because we're starting to play this game that the Indianapolis Colts have been doing. Let's bring in this guy uh, that he's had success and he's he's aging and didn't work out. And, you know, the Panthers have played that game too. And uh, we're starting to play that game with Winston and Dalton and – Simeon and i'm done playing it i think the things are too and i think they're ready to find their next guy for you know the foreseeable future and what's hard about kind of going back to dalton and um you can't really predict who's going to be available in the draft and you never want to go into the draft saying i absolutely need to get this position um and i thing that scares me about hen hooker is i think that he um if he was healthy he'd probably be a first-round pick Um, and I know he'll be ready for training camp, but the, what the NFL is saying right now is that he's a third round pick. And that kind of scares me a little bit because, um, not comparing him to Malik Willis, but you know, there's all this buzz about Malik Willis and the NFL kind of told you what they thought about him and said he's a third round pick. Um, and I, I think Henning Hooker is so much better than Malik. And I think he could definitely be a starter in this league if he gets the right opportunity. Um, But the thing about that is you would have to kind of reach for him. Would you just take him with your 29th overall pick? So you have the fifth-year option um, and you don't risk losing him. That's kind of the risk that you take going into the draft, wanting, needing a guy in the first round. Um, Is the Anthony Richardson buzz real about him going super-duper early? Or could he fall kind of a little bit and the Saints, you know, move up to go get him and pair him with Dalton and, let them learn. I don't know. It's not a perfect situation. And um, that's why I think car makes too much sense for them. And uh, people keep linking car to Carolina, but I think Carolina's looking at this NFC South right now. It's like, you know, saints might get their guy for four or five years, but we're in a position to get our guys for 10, 15 years uh, with their, with their draft pick. And, you know, Stroud or Levis might be there and they could trade up and get one. So yeah, if, if they miss out on car, miss out on Garoppolo, you got to just roll with Dalton and then just hope the right quarterback that they like falls to you and um, figure it out from there.
1: Chad, with Brendan Erdle, the Chicago Bears have said that the top pick is for sale. Who's most likely to get it from them? And for how much?
7: I I was kind of looking around that, um, and it's going to be a team that wants to obviously get Bryce Young, but it's going to be – you know, a team around that range. The Colts, um, I don't think the Raiders will be too aggressive. I think they probably want a veteran quarterback. Um, it's, it's really going to come down to, I think the scouting combine this week, we'll hear some buzz. There's always rumors. Um, who falls in love with Bryce Young? And that's going to be kind of scary. And I think Houston should even think about trading for that pick as well. If, if they really, really, really want him, uh, make sure you get him. Um the first thing I thought through my mind is, how can the Saints get that pick? And I'm like, oh, they would never do that. But I wouldn't put it past Mickey, and uh, obviously they're not in a position to do that. But we've seen Saints do crazy draft things before. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Chicago's going that route. I, I think it makes the most sense for them. But, yeah, I, I look at the Colts, and, you know, they've been dealing with this quarterback carousel, like we said, for way too long. And they have a great defense. I think they would be in the best spot to trade up and get Bryce Young and move on from this quarterback carousel. So.
1: Speaking of Bryce Young, do you find it odd that he has said that he's not going to throw at the combine? Do you think he should just maybe sit it out altogether?
5: Yeah, it, it, it's it's
7: interesting to me. Um, I know there's questions about you know his height and weight. I don't think that's really going to affect anything at this level. And uh, the way he played against LSU, it's like you got to turn on that tape and be like, that's an NFL defense right there. And he did pretty freaking good. And um, his body and shape didn't affect him in that game at all. Um, it is a little weird when, when quarterbacks and, and people like that decide to sit out of these things. It's like, if I was him, I would just go out and do it and then just prove I'm the best because I know I am. Um, but he obviously doesn't want to take that risk and – ruin his draft stock you could say and maybe he just wants to throw in his own building at alabama so um we'll just see there but yeah i i think guys like anthony richardson definitely need to i think he is going to throw out the combine and prove people and you know the, the risk that bryce takes is you know now you could have you know if cj goes out there and has an amazing day there's going to be talk about mm, is cj could cj go before bryce could will go before bryce and that's kind of the risk he's taken, and um, I wouldn't do it myself, but you know, he's got confidence in himself.
1: Brendan Ertle from Canal Street Chronicles joining us here on Crunch Time. Brendan, appreciate you as always. Draft getting ever so closer. Uh, we'll, we'll meet up again in a couple of weeks to uh, talk about the Saints draft picture from there. Hopefully Derek Carr is the Saints quarterback by that point.
7: Yeah, Let's hope uh, we got a quarterback. You're right. Appreciate
1: you, brother. Yes, sir. And there he goes, Brendan Ertel of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll wrap up today's show right after this.
0: This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: The Monster Trucks are coming back to the Cajun Dome with the Toughest Monster Truck Tour, March 17th and 18th, and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 104 One Lake Charles has a VIP package for you. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. The VIP package includes four tickets, access to the pit area, a merchandise certificate, and lunch with the truck drivers on that Friday. The Toughest Monster Truck Tour is coming back, and you can win a VIP package courtesy of the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Back here on Crunch Time 555. The blue and gold birds that play down in New Orleans have a game tonight against the Orlando Magic, that is the New Orleans Pelicans, sitting at 30 and 31. So far on the season, Paolo Banqueiro leading their opponents, the Orlando Magic, with 20 points, 6 rebounds, and 3.6 assists per game. James, the Pelicans sit at 10th in the West right now, but they're a game and a half out of 6th with 20 games to go. It is insane how tight it still remains. Now, Denver's got a nice advantage at the top spot. They've got a a five-and-a-half game cushion. That's pretty comfortable. But then everybody else is just kind of like, hey, we're we're still here. So could it be possible that maybe Zion comes back in 10 games and the Pelicans go on a nice little run to end the year and could be a top-five seed in the playoffs? It's not out of the realm of possibility. They're two games out of fifth place.
2: It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility. But the big question is, when does Zion actually come
1: back? Of course. And you've heard nothing R- you really a week and a
2: half. Still waiting on nothing. MRI results. But, I mean, tonight, it's definitely a must win. you got to beat the Magic. Yuck. You you have you to. You think? Three-game losing streak. They're,
1: they're third from the bottom in the East. Mm-hmm. I, know you're, I know your Boston Celtics are in the East, but, dude, the East is trash. And it's funny because the Magic have had the Celtics number the last few games outside of the top four in the east out after the Cavs, the east's trash yeah brooklyn i don't know
2: are they going to survive or are they just going to fall out of god out of even the uh play-in
1: uh, i think they fall far thanks to our guests today jay walker toby christie and brendan Ertle. for the producer extraordinaire james mesh i am matt miguez be safe be well hug your mom and them and we'll be back tomorrow to talk all things LSU, Raging Cajuns, New Orleans Saints, and so much more right here on The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros.